Thunder Nerds are go. Hello, Thunder Nerds. Welcome back to another podcast. Here we are again, and the 60th anniversary specials have come and gone. It's just me today. Josh is probably sleeping um, right now over in New York. Um, So it's just me, right? And I wanted to do this podcast as a summation of the 60th anniversary specials. Now, I've seen these stories all a few times. Now, I've seen The Star Beast four times. I've seen Wild Blue Yonder four times. And I've now seen The Giggle three times. So I thought I'd speak to you all having seen all these stories a few times now, and give you my overall thoughts on where I think they land. And I want to also talk about the previous um, milestone anniversary specials as well, because I think it'll be interesting to take a look back and see, well, how do do these specials now, um, in hindsight, fare to anniversaries gone by? So, first of all, I think let's start with a look back at those specials. Now, the key specials for mine are the 10th anniversary special. Let's start with that one. Uh, The Three Doctors kicked off season 10 of Doctor Who. John Pertwee, William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton. Now, unfortunately, William Hartnell couldn't be there for too much of it, Uh, it was very sick, right, but we did get some glorious, glorious moments with the second Doctor, um, and also the third Doctor, together on screen, uh, with some extraordinary banter, Um, wonderful to see them, you know, together on screen, such a novel idea, a genius idea, really, and and I think that the, the the true genius of the three doctors was the choice to to have them bicker with each other. You know, if you met yourself, you probably wouldn't like yourself, and I love that choice. Um, and we have the brigadier. We've got Joe Grant. We've got Omega, of course. Omega, who may well be returning, um, potentially as a Thanos-like big bad in. This coming reboot of Doctor Who with Shudi Gatwa, potentially. I guess we'll have to see how they are. If he is the one who waits that the Toymaker references in The Giggle. Um, But yeah, The Three Doctors is a really, really strong story. The next story. um, The 20th anniversary story of Doctor Who. The Five Doctors has Peter Davison's Fifth Doctor... Um, starring alongside Richard, uh, Richard Herndl as the first Doctor. William Hartnell had passed away at that point. Patrick Troughton and John Pertwee reprised their roles, respectively, as the second and third Doctors. Tom Baker um, didn't want to come to the party, unfortunately, but we do have stock footage of Tom and uh, Lala Ward as Romana the second in... Um, shots that were at that point unused from from the missing 1979 story Sharda. So, hmm, the the five doctors is um, I I have a really um, soft spot for the five doctors. 
because it was one of the first, or it would have been among the first Doctor Who stories I I, I watched. And that was because um, I was watching them at that point on uh, on the ABC here in Australia, um, and they were doing a run through of all of Classic Who, and they're up to the Fifth Doctor. So I started watching Doctor Who around the time of the Fifth Doctor's run, and and then you know Christopher Eccleston's um, series one also began its its first initial broadcasting in 2005 at that at that at roughly the same time of an evening on Saturdays so the five doctors i remember taping i saw it for the first time when i taped it I, there was a i think i started with roughly the visitation and from that point on with the with the fifth doctor i was taping um, his his episodes of an afternoon they'd air from a Monday to a Friday one part each day and I would tape them on VHS and I actually got a VHS I think where Earthshock is at the beginning of the VHS and by the end of it it's the original broadcast of Dalek from 2005 which is really cool so I've got the five doctors on on VHS I remember that vividly and um it's it's interesting because I had I, I knew the general premise by the time that I saw the five doctors about other doctors because I had Mordred Undead taped as well. And in Mordred Undead you see flashes of, of um well you see them a couple of times really. You see so first of all in, in Mordred Undead in, in for the twentieth anniversary um series when the brigadier is getting his memory back, you see some flashes of old stories. Um, the brigad as the brigadier recalls them, and you also uh, you also see flashes of old doctors like Troughton and Hartnell and Tom in um, in Earthshock um, when the Cybermen are going through their kind of database of the Doctor that they've got on record. So I already had known about the 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 general premise of uh, of other faces that the Doctor had regeneration itself as a concept. But it was just fascinating as a as a kid to see old doctors in, in, interacting with 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 the, at that point the latest doctor in in that timeline, and they're taken out of time by well what we now know spoilers people Barusa, um, who's trying to become um, a mortal uh, through Rassilon's game, um, and. The doctors are taken into the death zone, and they counter Cybermen. And there's a Dalek there in in one scene of the extended edition. Susan is there. Of course, we've got Tegan and Turlow, who were the companions at the time um, for um, the Fifth Doctor. We have Anthony Anley as the Master, as well. And it was cool to see him interact with um, John Pertwee, who returns alongside Bessie and Sarah Jane's there as well. Canine makes an appearance. Um, the Yeti. Um, it's really cool. It's a it's a it's a really good ripping kind of yarn. Uh, that one and um, the Death Zone's well realised. I I thought. So I'm a big big fan of that story as an anniversary special. From a writing perspective and just just general setup, I'd say the Three Doctors is probably just tighter. As a story, it's very, very concisely made. 
but the five doctors is such good fun i love it um the next one that i would consider would be silver nemesis from the um well this was the 25th anniversary of doctor who sylvester mccoy sophie aldred star sees the return of the cybermen i've always really liked silver nemesis to be honest i've always thought it was a um the silver anniversary and I really enjoy it, actually. Um, I've only seen it maybe three times in its entirety, but I, I, I enjoy the story for what it is. I wouldn't say that it's anything uh, near as good as something like The Five Doctors or The, or the Three Doctors, um, but I enjoy it nonetheless every time I've seen it. Um, the 30th anniversary saw Dimensions in Time. Now, do I even dare talk about this? Um, it's a Doctor Who EastEnders crossover, Tom Baker's there, it's got some really shoddy effects with, um, Hartnell and Troughton appearing in, like, weird 3D, Tom Baker's calling all doctors, calling them all, it's the doctor, and shit like that, it's just a bit fucking weird, but it's cool to see, like, pairings we've never seen before with, like, doctors and companions and that kind of thing. That was cool. Um, but I wouldn't say that... Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's... Yeah, it's easily the worst special, like anniversary special by, by, by a country mile. Um, the 40th anniversary, probably the thing that you would... Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that happened that year would probably be like the original kind of recording of Scream of Shulker with... Um, Richard E. Grant is like an alternative uh, Ninth Doctor. That's an interesting idea. I've never actually seen that myself. I've never, never seen it. I would love to actually sit down and watch it and see what I what I think of it. Um, but yeah, I've, ne- I've never, never seen that one. And um, that uh, big finish also did um, a trio. Uh, I believe, during the 40th anniversary, where they brought back, like, three classic villains and told original tales with them, Davros, Master, and Omega. I thought Omega was really good. Master is one of the all-time greats, and Davros is also, in my opinion, one of the all-time great stories. Um, and then they did um, Zagreus, I think that's how you pronounce it, which was a multi-doctor special Peter Davison, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, uh, and Sylvester McCoy, sorry, and Paul McGann. They all, they all were in that one. And I've listened to the Grace. It's long, it's dense. I probably wasn't in the right kind of, uh, I suppose, frame of mind when I listened to it because it's got a lot to it. I didn't love it when I first heard it. Maybe I need to go back and listen. But yeah, they did that as well. Yeah, for for big finish. And then we all know, of course, the fiftieth anniversary that was done in two thousand and thirteen. John Hurt, David Tennant. Um, returned there as well, and then Matt Smith, and we also had the Night of the Doctor with Paul McGann reprising his role as the Eighth Doctor. Tom Baker appeared as the curator, um, and we had all Doctors appear saving Gallifrey. That was pretty damn cool when it came out, and um, yeah, I remember seeing that at the cinema with friends, and um, it was quite mesmerising to watch, and um, lots of uh, fist pumping the air kind of moments, and um, 
probably the greatest cinema experience I've ever had in my life, just in terms of the sheer energy that was going around in the room as as everyone was watching it and, and um, enjoying it, because a lot didn't leak from memory, or at least I hadn't caught it. Um, yeah, so I, I really... um. I really liked the 50th anniversary. I, th- I just thought it was an amazing look back at Doctor Who's history and then and then a really exciting glimpse forward as well. And seeing Peter Capaldi kind of cameo was just so exciting at the time. McGann, when he showed up in Night of the Doctor, which we all thought was going to be John Hurt, was an amazing little treat. Seven minutes of Paul McGann on screen again was amazing. John Hurt's, um, you know, tease regeneration into uh, Christopher Eccleston was great. It was just... Yeah, when it when it came out, it was um, so exciting to be a Doctor Who fan. So the fiftieth anniversary was was really really something. Um, maybe we'll rank these at the end. Maybe we'll do a Thunder Nerd overall ranking of all the specials. Oh my 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 god. Thundernode ranking of all the of all the specials to see what we believe um, ends up at the top. Maybe we'll do that. Now let's take a look at the 60th anniversary specials. So we have three one-hour specials that we've all probably seen by now. I'm guessing if you haven't, I would go away and watch those before coming back here because um, whenever I feel the need, I will be bringing up spoilers. So if you haven't seen it, go and watch them and then come back and have a listen see what you think we'll go from here we have the star beast we have wild blue yonder and we have the giggle um my high level overall thoughts on each of these specials let's let's get that out of the way first before we dive in a little bit deeper my overall thoughts on special one the star beast uh, it's it's a very fast-paced story, isn't it? Um, it rips along at, at a at a kind of exhilarating pace um, and doesn't give you a lot of time to uh, to think too hard because there's just so much going on. Um, it's what do I think overall? Um, well, first of all, I think, you know, and this was the closest one, you would say, to the actual 60th anniversary, because it aired the Saturday after the 23rd, it aired on the 25th of November, okay, and I would say it doesn't feel like an anniversary story, um, it definitely feels like an extension of Series 4 with David Tennant and Catherine Tate. That's what it feels like. Um, But it definitely doesn't feel like an anniversary story, per se. Um, We have the Doctor, or David Tennant, back as the Doctor. Donna is back in his life. The Doctor has his old face back, and he doesn't quite know why that is. Um... Hmm. I think it feels like, and and again, I've seen this now four times. This story. 
Um, where did I enjoy it the most? That's a good question to ask, maybe. Where did I enjoy that story the most? I enjoyed it the most. Mm. One of my standout scenes. Uh, one of my standout scenes for the story was one that I just didn't expect at all, really, and that was with Sean Temple and the Doctor in the taxi. And Sean's kind of catching us up a little bit on Donna and what happened with the money. Um, I just really enjoyed that one scene. I'm not I'm not quite sure why. I just enjoyed that scene. The Doctor kind of remembers. Um, oh goodness me, her name I've forgotten her name. Um, Neris. He remembers Neris, and uh, he kind of goes, oh, I'm just a friend of Neris's, this, that, and the other, and I enjoyed that scene, um, it was a nice breather, it was weird, because I thought the first scene with Donna, kind of meeting the Doctor again, was in a way rushed, I can't explain it, just very, very rushed, it just felt like it was all happening so fast, and okay, Donna's here, and okay, the Doctor is he's recognized her, and he's putting up the, you know, um, the boxes again that he was going to help her with, because it's Donna, of course, and he doesn't want her to remember him, and then she's got a daughter, and what is going on here, I mean, it was just, it was fast, and the spaceship's crashing, it doesn't give you a lot of time to just chill, and I don't know if I loved that to start off with, but I, I liked the scene with Sean, and it feels like it just slows everything down just for a second, because everything gets manic again when they get back to the house, and the Meep's there, and the Wrath Warriors are there, and the Doctor's putting up bulletproof shields with his sonic screwdriver, and, you know, that's the whole, like, ADR line there, like, you know, oh, it resonates concrete, and then you hear just Sean, in, that's not concrete, mate, that's mortar, which was clearly ADR. Um, hmm. I don't know, just all, it all, I'll tell you what I did love, I did love the reference to the Stones of Blood, um, in the parking lot, where the, the Doctor kind of puts on the wig, and kind of holds the court hearing, and then the Meep just is like, oh, to hell with this fucking shit, and just kills the Wrath Warriors, and I love the Wrath Warriors talking about the psychedelic sun and whatnot, and, um, you know, the, 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 the tale of the Meep is a tragic one, and this and that, and they were funny, like, their voices were kind of really campy and hilarious, the Wrath Warriors, and and then the ending feels a bit rushed, it probably just took a tad too long in its middle section to get going, and then the ending feels rushed, the whole, like, and look, I'm just gonna say this, I just do not like the whole, after everything that we've been told about, um, the Metacrisis, and, uh, and, and, you know, if Donna remembers, she'll die, and the stakes that were set up, and the tragedy of, um, of Journey's End, and then the end of time as well, it doesn't really feel earned to me, it was just too fast, um, the whole, like, oh, everything's reverting, like, and then the earth kind of reverts itself, like, I feel like you could have you could have just had that maybe in the general proximity of where that ship was, that things started to crack in the earth around that ship, but it didn't go further than that, because by the time they stop it, it hadn't, it hadn't kind of gone further, and then you could leave that, that kind of area affected as it was, but it's an isolated area, 
that's affected and it just didn't spread but to show it spread over like all of what looks like to be the whole of London and then undo it and somehow like the cracks reform and the earth sealed back up it was just a bit fucking weird to me and a tad too far even though you know it's Doctor Who it was just like oh why did we do that if if it can just undo so seamlessly um the whole like oh um you know binary binary non-binary I just I didn't like that I can see the uh, enticement, I suppose, maybe on Russell's end to, to go, oh, you know, she said this, like, word ages ago, but, and then I'll use this, like, is Rose non-binary? I'm, I was a bit confused, there's a difference between trans, transgender and, and non-binary, that was a little bit confusing to me, I was, I was just not quite understanding that, to be honest, um, yeah, I just didn't quite understand that. Maybe I'm missing something, but uh, I just didn't didn't like that whole ending and like the whole. I don't know if this was terribly necessary, really. The whole, you know, it's something a male time a present a male presenting time lord could never understand. I let it go. We choose to let it go. Like okay, we're just letting go. The of the, of the metacrisis, like, somehow, I guess, you know, we only had 60 minutes or under to, to wrap all of this up, I suppose, but it feels like maybe we should have just spent less time again in that middle section of that story, so that we had more time to really properly explore and wrap up this resolution, um, and in hindsight, you know, I, I do wonder if there was a missed opportunity from a writing perspective, right? Maybe Russell wrote scenes like this and he cut it, I, I don't know, right? Or maybe there was stuff in earlier drafts, but I just can't help but think, like, that I would have loved, um, I would have, I would have loved to see, because Donna kind of, goes into the whole, oh, money, and, like, you know, I, I gave away all my money, and that kind of thing, and it's funny and whatnot, but I just, I, I do wonder if there, there, there was, there was, a, um, narrative kind of potential to explore the choice of going, hey, you took away my memories against my, my will, you know, you had no right to do that, Doctor. I just wonder if that would have been an interesting perspective to explore with Donna. Um, because she, maybe, she, maybe after everything she'd seen and whatnot, maybe she would rather have died than lose that knowledge and lose those experiences and, and go back to living that life where, where she, she believed she was no one, and nothing special, you know, um, I do wonder that, and I think that was a little bit of a missed opportunity to explore further, be it in the Star Beast, or even wildly yonder, perhaps, so yeah, 
um, wraps up a bit fast. There's things that I just do not think were necessary, and I know Russell said, oh, you know, this is part of the story in this one, like the transgender um, thing is is part of the story in the Star Beast, but it, it feels like, to me, it's all a little bit shoehorned together, and it just doesn't just doesn't hold up for me, I don't think. I think the whole last section of the story feels just a, a little bit out of place and a little bit, it doesn't, the glue is not holding things together there for me. It's not working. Um, so I would say the Star Beast overall would be for me, Thunderbird 5 people. Um, and there's there's absolutely moments that I enjoy. Actually, no, 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 no. No, I'm going to say a Thunderbird 4, because there are moments that I enjoy, but it just comes a little bit undone by the end of it. It still wasn't a stronger story for me. It's, it's about that Thunderbird 4 area, but, like, there's enough enjoyment that I got out of it, like, pure fun enjoyment out of it, um, like, kind of nonsense things that just, you know, don't think too hard, but just enjoy this kind of, like kind of ride for what it is that I would that I that it avoids a Thunderbird 5 actually for me. So Thunderbird 4 is where it lands, right? Um and that's after four viewings of it. Wild Blue Yonder is for me the the far and away best special from these 360th anniversary specials. There's just not even a shadow of a doubt in my mind that that is how I feel. Um, I just thought it was uh, a ripping, ripping, ripping story of Doctor Who. Absolutely um, wonderful and a return to form for this show. Um, the best story for me since uh, the Peter Capaldi years. Um, so, yeah. What could I say about it? I just, I absolutely, well, let's start at the beginning. I want to talk about the, um, the pre-title sequence, which we'll go into a little bit more because I want to speak about Isaac Newton a little bit later as well, but, uh, that'll come later. Let's just talk about narratively that, 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 that opening, um, scene. Um, I think... It was, I didn't love it, that's the truth. Um, after seeing it now four times, I just didn't love this scene. I thought it was um, quite random, um, disjointed compared to the rest of the story. It feels like an afterthought, an add-in to me. I wonder if this scene was not there in earlier drafts, potentially. Because it just feels the whole tone of this scene is completely um, it's just completely different to to everything that that follows it, isn't it? It's the rest of the story is quite unnerving. There's horror elements that remind you of the thing. You know, Alien, I can see why they would say that came to mind. Um, 
horror elements, classic horror, horror tropes in the way that it's directed and made and nothing at all feels anything like the pre-title sequence's tone and vibe. It just didn't really feel necessary, I don't think. I actually think it would have felt it would have been better to, to, to drop that scene entirely. I wonder if there was a draft where the TARDIS arrives as we see it arrive, and that was the beginning. And the pre-title sting, like you have you have it play it as a little bit of a longer opening, they go down the corridor, and then the TARDIS gets called back, and then the TARDIS disappears. I wonder if there was earlier drafts where where the TARDIS arrives, they step out, they try and fix it, they go have a little look around, and then they hear a noise, then they go back, uh-oh, the TARDIS has disappeared, and then, you know, oh, there's something so bad, the TARDIS ran away, well then, let's go and kick its ass, bang, cue the music, they go into the intro, and then we cut, and then we're back in that big, long corridor, and that was an original draft. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, and that this pre-title sequence we get was an afterthought anyway I'm not sure about that maybe I'm completely off the ball because then I guess the whole Mavity thing is done in 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 the in the pre-title sequence but it just feels a little bit out of place to me anyway um the robot the the slow robot is is cool the the um when I when I talked before about the star beast and I said where, where was my interest where was the, where was I most interested in the story two scenes in that story I was the most interested with the was the Sean Ten, uh Sean Temple taxi scene and the Doctor Stones of Blood reference kind of court scene. Those were the two peak interest moments of the Star Beast for me. If I was to pick out a key moment of interest for me here, two that come to mind are um one, the scene where we get onto the deck and we find that the door opened three years ago and then closed there's no life signs on board when the doctor brings out the drone and we see this huge ship from the outside that we're on and donna's questioning why there's no stars we learn we're at the edge of the universe and the light hasn't reached us yet and that the doctor's standing somewhere where he's never kind of stood before on the edge of creation itself at the edge of creation itself like these scenes are just it's a phenomenal scene it really is like it's it's exactly what i like in my doctor who i love stories like midnight the waters of mars the impossible planet this is the kind of doctor who that i enjoy this deep space existential horror um mm, i could i couldn't talk enough about how much I love this when the doctor's talking about things like I think it's something like Cambodian physics or something that humans will discover and they'll learn that you can have an edge to creation it's just an interesting idea and I love it um that was where my interest was peaked another scene where my interest was peaked was when Donna's talking about you know going home and uh, or, or, or sorry not not going home but but uh, how long you know Rose and Sean might wait for her and the doctor's listening and then the doctor is you know kind of confiding in Donna and saying I wonder where the TARDIS goes when um 
when 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 it takes off like this like maybe it lands on some outcrop by the sea and then people build a city and a monorail and this around it and eventually all that will, will die and wither away and then there's the outcrop and the tide is still there just as it was all those years ago like it lands there for a hundred years or something it was just a lovely moment um and that was my other key moment of interest in this story I just and and because it was also playing so well into the whole like you know the doctor and Donna in both scenes the audience is ahead of them a little bit and understand that slowly very slowly we we, we work out ahead of the doctor and Donna that who they're talking to are not the doctor and Donna Uh, each of them are talking to something else something else that seems to have their very memories which is an interesting idea so I really, uh, really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the way that, uh, or the reveal um, of the hands. It, it worked for me when I first saw it. It took me by a complete surprise. Um, I thought it was kind. It was it was kind of hilarious, but I I was I was uh, it was very unnerving. And then you know they really go quite bombastic and have the two of them quite big, chasing after the Doctor and Donna, the not things, and then I love the way that they get split up from each other, and then we get some stuff there with Donna, but more so we get we get the Doctor and Flux and the Timeless Child, I thought that was a really interesting choice and great way of doing that and referencing the past and not ignoring it. Um, I thought uh, that the scene where the Doctor evokes a superstition at the edge of the universe with the salt and whatnot was a great tenant moment. I think this, just in general, is one of the great tenant Tate performances in a Doctor Who story, period. Um, yeah, I thought it was really, really well done. And then on the ship, when the Doctor's working it out, I, I, the Doctor not being able to think um, was an interesting choice. And of course, he, he, he can't, he just can't. Uh, not think so he he switches it all back on knowing that it's going to make them faster but he can't help himself and I love that um yeah I, I really love Wild Blue Yonder I think that it's got extreme ambition and I love seeing the show push itself like that uh, even if sometimes the effects are a little bit shoddy I enjoy seeing Doctor Who using its bigger budget to the full and not just resting on its laurels and actually still having to push itself with its money and going, God, we've got money, but do we have money to be able to do this? Well, well, that's going to lead to some creativity of how we might do that if it's still going to stretch, you know, um, the money for us. So I, I really love Wild Blue Yonder, and I loved the scene at the end with Wilf. I thought um, it was wonderful to see him back, um, if not for, a, you know, obviously a brief, brief moment, but, um, you know, wonderful and bittersweet to see him back nonetheless. Um, for me, I would say that Wild Blue Yonder, uh, overall, as a Doctor Who story, it's a return to form, and for me, it lands in Thunderbird 1 tier, um, which I think I said before, and, and it's not the top Thunderbird 1 tier, if you were to say that, it's it's probably uh, around just 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 above a Thunderbird 2, getting into Thunderbird 1, but it's, it's comfortably there at the bottom of a Thunderbird 1 tier for me, so that's Wild Blue, that's Wild Blue Yonder. Um, now, Let's get into um, 
let's get into the giggle. The giggle is obviously the third and final special. Um, these stories are fairly isolated. Um, they're fairly isolated stories. Um, there's not really, it's definitely not a three-part story, so it's not like everything's been building towards this. I mean, I guess we get the, the salt in, 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 in Wild Blue Yonder and whatnot, but other than that, like, these stories are fairly isolated. Now, by the time we, 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 we're we back here at the beginning, the toy makers arrive, we start in Soho, 1925. Um, it's a bombastic story, it's an angry script, I think. Now seeing it, having seen it three times, um, it feels like Russell has something to say about the state of the world. Um, you know, whether it be the anti-Zertex bracelets commentary on, on things, whether it be um, a quick line looking at cancel culture, whether it be a quick line about ghosting and all that kind of thing with 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 and the games people play on dating apps and that kind of thing, or whether it just be in general the way that humans kind of lean in towards hatred of one another and whatnot, and um, they don't really need any help, but the, the the toy maker or whoever's behind it at that point when he's talking about it, um, someone's kind of you know using your all your worst assets against you and the doctor scolds them in the unit tower um it's it's a lovely little piece of writing i thought from russell um and to be honest i quite like the giggle actually up until oh it's not that i look i've watched it three times like i said now so i've started to actually come around to the whole how how the bioregeneration plays out it, it it's it's not as which is funny really because um when i watched it right for the first time i mean i already knew about the leaks and i was almost 100% sure weeks before the leaks uh or before before the story aired sorry that the leaks would be true and yet somehow it still got me it's still after having known for so many weeks, having all that, you know, time to think about it, to see it actually happen, was surprising to me. And I'm not going to say that I love it, because I simply don't love it. And I think I, I absolutely would have preferred a, a general, by the books, 14 regenerates to 15 scenario over what we got. However, after having seen it three times, I'll say that the bioregeneration, it doesn't bother me nearly as much as it did on that first viewing. I've had time to think about it, I've had time to sit with it, I've had time to rewatch it. And it just doesn't, um, it doesn't uh, annoy me as much as it did. It just doesn't. In fact, I actually quite enjoy the idea of the Doctor in a healthy way stopping, taking a moment and just doing some therapy, you know, instead of always running on to the next thing, running on to the next thing, let, let, let's stop and uh, let's just stop for a moment. Let, let's have a Doctor that just stopped at one point. And took some time for himself 
and allows the 15th Doctor to be what he will become. Because we see the 15th Doctor there at the start, and he says, you stopping is what made me better. And I like the idea of a Doctor coming along that is uninhibited, that is uh, not burdened by his past. Which I'm sure he, he he might have moments coming, but I think that overall, from a, at least the looks of the trailer for the Church on Ruby Road, it seems that we're getting a, a very different Doctor to what we've got before in New Doctor Who, where it feels like it, it's a new beginning, and maybe he'll have his own you know things that'll happen in his in his new life where um they might become problems or things he has to deal with along the way, but everything from the past maybe. He can just, he's hes dealt with it in his own way, and it's taken time, but he's dealt with it off screen. So I, that idea actually doesn't bother me as much anymore, really. Um, the the theory from RTD that, that, that the Doctor bi-regenerated down his timeline, which has not been confirmed or canonised yet, but he has theorised that on the InVision commentary for the Giggle, that is a different story. Um, I think the idea of all doctors by regenerating down the timeline is very, very uh, iffy, and and I could I could see the temptation maybe of going. I don't want to have to explain doctors coming back and looking older or whatever. I want to be able to bring them back whenever they want at whatever age they are and have it explained. But a Doctorverse is just too Marvel for me. It's just the Spiderverse taking out Spider and putting Doctor. I just don't like that. I don't. Um, I think that there's there's just at this point with the Timeless Child revelation that we're clearly sticking with. Um, the idea that you know there was thousands potentially, potentially thousands of Doctors before William Hartnell. I don't. I just don't like that. I never have. I never will. I've had to, you know, kind of accept that uh, at some point he did regenerate. They wiped his memory, became Hartnell, and from that point on, those those are the Doctor that that follow that Doctor esque kind of uh, ideology and um, belief system of like you're never cruel or cowardly and that whatnot, and you set off to sail and see the universe. I've had to accept that that was a William, was with William Hartnell, so he's still the first Doctor to me, the first Doctor. Not the first of that entity, but the first Doctor. Um, but that's my headcanon, right? And um, I just don't, I don't, I simply don't like bringing more and more, do- more and more Doctors. It all seemed like it was simple for a show where, you know, a character could change its face. It seemed fairly simple for a long time. Okay, he changes. It's a different person, the same memories and whatnot. But now it feels like we've got so many, so many, so many. And we haven't seen all of them. And they, where are they? Who are they? We haven't seen all of them anymore. It just feels like it's 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 a bit of a clusterfuck, I think. Um, so that idea that is not yet realised, I didn't, I don't, yeah... I just don't love that. But anyway, back onto what is canonised. The bi-regeneration doesn't bother me as much anymore. Okay. If I had it my way, I would prefer it to have been a straight regeneration, but it's not. But I don't mind it as much. Right. Um, up until that point, 
I enjoyed everything in the Toymaker's realm. Um, unit stuff maybe went on a tad too long. The Toymaker stuff wraps up too fast. I would give this story a Thunderbird. Um, I'd give it a Thunderbird four, a high Thunderbird four. I think I enjoyed it more than the Star Beast, but yeah, high Thunderbird four for me. Um, Josh has given me his answer. He'd give it a Thunderbird four and a half, so he's probably sitting around that middle tier of Thunderbird four. I'm just a little bit above at a Thunderbird four, just barely dipping into a Thunderbird 3, but it doesn't. It's, it's still there in that Thunderbird 4 range. Um, but Josh has just texted me his thoughts, so Thunderbird 4.5 for him. Um, he'd texted me while he was watching it. He'd said, you know, it's very fast. He said Neil Patrick Harris was good, but things are just happening way too fast. He thinks that a unit spin-off's 100% on the way. He also thinks a 14th Doctor spin-off, as he's mentioned on the podcast, is on the way, which, you know, I, I disagree with, but maybe there is. I think that's just not the way to go if it actually is going to happen um but he didn't love this story while he was watching it um yeah so that's that's the giggle that's the giggle just quickly thunder nerds um just here looking on radio times they've just broken uh, a story here doctor who boss says there are no plans for David Tennant to return. I'm going to uh, read this while I'm looking at it. Um, what have I got? Uh, insists the Russell T Davies insists there are no plans for when uh for fourteen to return. Speaking at a screening of. 2023 Christmas special The Church on Ruby Road Davies joked Sorry it's the age of shooty now David who? Um, he added No plans genuinely yet Because this is a busy TARDIS These two Gatwer and Millie Gibson As companion Ruby Sunday Are going to just sail across the universe And capture your heart So it's time to look at these two in companion show Doctor Who Unleashed, Davies expanded on the concept of bioregeneration, insisting both the old and the new Doctors are the real deal. Um, bioregeneration, we discover, is an ancient myth of the Time Lords, where instead of a new body taking over from the old body, the new body separates from the old body and both are left alive. David Tennant is parked for once. We've got a happy Doctor who is no longer saving the universe, but is parked with Donna for a happy life while the Doctor, Shudi Gatwa, which is always the next Doctor... And that's always true of Doctor Who. The Doctor is the next Doctor is out amongst the stars. I like those comments from Russell. Um, does it change the fact that I just think it shouldn't have been done? Not really. Um, but it has been done. But these comments are reaffirming and uh, I, I reassuring. I think that... Um, I just don't see a 14th Doctor spin-off happening. If anything, an 8th Doctor spin-off um, of Missing Adventures kind of makes way more sense to me. But we shall see, people. We shall see. Now, let's dive in for a closer look at the 60th anniversary specials. First of all, the title sequence. The title sequence, um, I really, really 
enjoy. It's growing on me. I, I already liked when I first saw it, but it's just growing on me and growing on me and growing on me. Um, I love the TARDIS. Um, I, I, you know, I've seen people talking about, oh, um, I don't like that, uh, that it, that it, that the shot cuts and it's not one shot. Um, I gotta be honest, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I just don't. Like, I think that's fucking lame, to be honest. Uh, to go, oh, you know, it's not one continuous shot. Oh, it's just weird. It's like, it actually looks great to me. Very cinematic, seeing the TARDIS cut and then, like, I don't know. I just think that that, that is the biggest nitpick I've ever fucking heard in my life, and that is lame. Um, but each to their own. Everyone's got an opinion. I love the new title sequence. Love the look of the TARDIS down the time vortex. Um, think it looks sick. Um, I love it when it like leaves the vortex and goes into like a time storm type thing at one point and we kind of zoom in like fast on it as if we're just catching it as it goes through and it looks sick to me. Um, it's fast. It doesn't overstay its welcome. Um, I enjoy the theme. I enjoy the look of the logo in the title sequence. Um, tick from me. Uh, apparently there was a, um, some, some extra shots filmed where, like, you actually see the, I think, like, Donna, um, hanging out the TARDIS, and David Tennant was out the TARDIS as well, and then they redid that kind of sequence with, um, Millie Gibson and Trudy Gatwell, where, where Ruby's hanging out the TARDIS and the 15th Doctor's, like, pulling her back in or whatnot, um, apparently Russell T Davies was saying that everybody, like, um, everybody, hated that, but he loved it, but everybody else hated it, um, and then he showed it to Moffat, and Moffat said, amazing title sequence, by the way, with that shot, cut it, he said, what, he said, cut it, cut it, that shot, cut it, and, and they cut it, so there you go, Moffat had an input in the 60th anniversary, they cut the shots of the Doctor and the Companion out of the TARDIS, and I kind of think, right decision, based on just hearing that, um, description of what it would have looked like, yeah, no, I, don't, I think they made the right call by, by cutting that down. Title sequence I like. Now, um, what about if it goes through to the next era? Well, I think the music rendition is really, really good, and I really like it. Um, it would be a shame, I guess, if it, uh, you know, came and went so fast after only three stories. Um, so I wouldn't be completely opposed to it staying, but then I also think I would love, like, Shooty Gatwood to have his own um, defined theme music as the doctor so i guess we'll just have to see where that goes if I, if it, if, it, if we get to the church on ruby road and there's no new theme and it's exactly this one i wouldn't be terribly upset um if there's a new theme then i also would be stoked to see that in, t in terms of the titles i think russell said that there's some refining to do that he's not fully there with where they're at so they might change and i think i'm, I'm more than happy for that to happen i would also love shooty to have you know some kind of individuality to his um to his title sequence but i guess we'll just have to see but tick from me for these 60th anniversary title sequences uh harken back to russell t davies first era but also just other areas of the show and the music also does um, the screwdriver, uh, ooh, it's overpowered, isn't it? Um, I guess, okay, do I mind it being able to kind of like put together a hologram? Um, no, no, I don't of the ship in the Star Beast. No, I don't mind that. A mate of mine actually pointed out that Capelli did something very similar in his first season. So I don't, I don't mind that. I can get behind that. And the screwdriver has always done random things at, at times. Um, 
that we haven't always agreed with. But and and look, I'll say something about the the bulletproof shields that get put up. One person, I think it was actually Council of Geeks that mentioned it on YouTube um, in their review for the Star Beast. They 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 pointed out something I I quite enjoyed actually. Um, that I hadn't thought of, and that is that when the doctor puts them up, they don't, he doesn't put them up instantly, right, so he doesn't, he doesn't put the bulletproof shields up in two seconds flat, and in fact, he only has the time to do it because the Wrath Warriors and unit soldiers that are possessed by the Meep are firing upon each other at the time and are distracted, and the doctor and you know, said friends are in the next room along from the corridor, and he has a bit of time to take the screwdriver out, put these shields up, and then put them into the hallway and go, come on, everybody up, everybody up, let's go. Now, if he was running from, say, the Cybermen or the Daleks or something like that, and he was under time pressure, he would not have the time to use this, so they have kind of nerfed the screwdriver in that way. He's, he can use it in moments where, um, you know, he can use it essentially, um, for things like that if he's got the time to do so and the shields also don't last permanently they do get destroyed you know they last very very momentarily so that they can get them up the stairs but then they're kind of you know destroyed so it's not as bad it was just a bit of a shock to the system seeing it there and i really like the decision in wild blue yonder to strip the doctor of the screwdriver obviously he gets stripped of the tardis as well but the screwdriver um him getting stripped off is a really great choice i think and then he also doesn't use it a hell of a lot either in um, Special 3, uh, really. So, yeah, I didn't mind it overall, its use in the, in the, in the, in the specials um, after seeing them all. It's definitely still used a bit too much in, in, in Special 1, the Star Beast, in my honest opinion. But um, not as bad as I as I initially thought when I've had some time to think about it and get some other opinions and, 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 and views on it. Um, what else have we got? He uses the psychic paper as well in the Star Beast. That was a nice use of the paper. That says Grand Mistress. Oh, come on, keep up. Love that little gag. That works. Um, the TARDIS. Shall we talk about the TARDIS? Oh my. I actually love the decision to keep Jodie Whittaker's exterior because I thought it was an amazing exterior. The pull to open sign that's um, got the black background with the white letters. I love. I love the blue siren on the top of the police box. I've loved the colours of Jodie's um, TARDIS exterior. I just thought it was a wonderful design. Looked like they've darkened it up a little bit. I really enjoy it. And the interior is one of the best of New Doctor Who, in my opinion. Um, the the size and the scope inside and the stairs and the console. Um, it looks awesome, the lights being able to change, the um, the way it infers that there's other rooms with all the doors, and I hope we do see other rooms in RTD 2's era. Um, yeah, really like it. And, and yeah, look, I'm a fan. I've got to be honest, I, I, I like the jukebox. I like the jukebox. I know some people think it looks out of place and whatnot. Um, and I guess it kind of does, but I think that also against the stark white version of the of the console it does look a little bit out of place um i think that what i like about this new tardis is how many color schemes it could possibly have it's infinite that the jukebox will probably in the next era fit in seamlessly i would imagine but we'll have to see i mean you know he's had coat hangers in there before um 
in RTD1, he had that weird, almost, like, weird three-seater pilot chair, which was kind of bizarre, and, and that looked a bit out of place, I thought, but it grew on me, and I, I just like that as a staple of that TARDIS, so this doesn't, I don't mind this, personally, the jukebox, it'd be interesting to see if it gets used, and how, and that kind of thing, but anyway, very interesting, we'll see, um, but I like this TARDIS a lot, um, what about the Doctor, let's talk about the 14th Doctor, um, it's, it's, he's different to the 10th Doctor, there's no doubt that he is different to the 10th Doctor, not very, okay, which makes a lot of sense, I understand from a, from a, from a perspective of bringing in the audience, they're not going to have him play a completely different character, or anything like that, um, they keep him within the realm of, uh, where he was, right, um, but, yeah, it's interesting to see him, return David and see how he's aged and how he's kind of changed a little bit as uh, as an actor and a performer um I think the 14th doctor in my opinion is uh is easily um a better doctor than the 10th doctor that's what I think 10th doctor could be dramatic be a bit all over the place, a bit wishy-washy, you know, the whole lonely god thing I was never huge on, I don't think, like, I think there's moments where it worked, and then there's just moments where it's just, oh my goodness me, this is a, this is a lot, um, but the 14th Doctor has grown from his experiences, he's a bit more mature, he has different ideas about things, um, I, I liked David's performance here, and, um, like I said, I think Wild Blue Yonder is one of the great David Tennant performances in Doctor Who, in a story of Doctor Who. I think it's one of his best stories, and, and same with Catherine Tate, um, in Doctor Who, period. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed his performance. I also just really enjoyed that the 14th Doctor, when he goes to regenerate, before he realizes he's going to buy and generate and whatnot, I enjoy that he accepts his death. Um, whereas the 10th Doctor said, you know, I don't want to go, and he, he had this whole kind of, you know, it's not fair, kind of thing, like, I like that Donna says, you know, you're dying, and he goes, this isn't dying, you know, like, he's accepted it, Alon Z is let's go in French, and, and he's before said, I don't want to go, and he accepts it, you know, and I think that's, that's wonderful growth for this Doctor, um, so yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that that Flux has affected him, and it hasn't just come and gone as a thing that happened, he still ponders about the timeless child clearly, that's something that still plays on the Doctor's mind, um, with what we know about the Christmas special, um, it sounds like that's not going anywhere either, that, that Russell's embracing that timeless child arc of, you know, the Doctor being a foundling, and then being kind of adopted, um, it sounds like Ruby will have a very similar kind of backstory, and that might be what bonds them, I suppose, we'll have to see, but, um, yeah, I thought David was, was good, and I, and I thought that Shooty Gatler, personally, I thought he was really, um, strong, I thought that he was bursting with energy, um, it was it was exciting to watch. I find I found him mag, uh, to be honest, magnetizing to watch, and I didn't want to let, let you know. I didn't want a moment without him. Actually, as soon as he came on screen, I wanted to follow him 
towards the end of the story and, and then when we kind of cut away from him and go back to the lunch with the nobles and the doctor I I found myself yearning to see more actually and um I'm I am looking forward to to what they do on the church on Ruby Road I, I hope it doesn't lean too I look it look it looks campy but I just I hope that it all works within the confines of the story that they're going to tell at Christmas and I know it's a Christmas special so it's a little bit more kind of you know family-esque and but I just hope that we do get some really, really cool stories moving forward after that. But um, in in the next in the next season. But you know, excited to see how it all comes together in the Christmas special because the early reviews are are quite good for the for the for the special. We can talk about that soon though. But shooting out my first impressions, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to see what he does with it. And he made a good uh, first impression for me. Donna is the main companion for the Doctor in these specials. Um, now I talked about how she gave the money away in in Special One, and I didn't kind of like love that there was there was things in there that Sean just brushes over that his wife, you know, gave away a hundred and sixty million quid. Um, I still think that's a kind of crazy, but um, you know. You know that's love, baby. I suppose, but um, I think Donna was was good. Catherine Tate, I loved her in her initial run. I thought she was just solid. She she was she kind of took me by surprise actually with her performance back in two thousand and eight when she came back because I didn't I didn't love her character in the Christmas uh sorry the Christmas, the Runaway Bride, um, but I thought she really took that that role and ran with it in her in 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 series four and uh did things that i didn't expect she would do to be honest um i thought it was a really strong performance and she picks up here as if she never left um which is all the more impressive when you you know have watched behind the scenes interviews and she has fuck all idea what she's saying when she delivers her dialogue she she couldn't be further removed from from the uh the world and kind of science and intricacies of doctor who that that we fans um you know are kind of um entangled with i suppose so it's kind of hilarious but she slips right back into it her performance is solid in the star beast the the whole meta crisis thing i i didn't love how fast it was resolved in the star beast but it is uh, her realization, you know, that she's away from Rose and Sean and whatnot in Wild Blue Yonder and the TARDIS leaves is is nice. Um, the way she kind of um, moves about the ship and is talking about her family and going back, it's an, it's an interesting layer to the character that now she's got a daughter, she thinks differently about, you know, being on this space you know ship that she may not have thought like that before she had a child but now her thoughts have changed and she's happy to go home by the end of wild blue yonder and then we get everything going on with with um with the toy maker and whatnot but it's it's cool to see her through the specials kind of saying you don't really ever slow down to the doctor you know you I've, I've been in your head and i've seen this and that and you just don't take time to slow down and then she's able to talk him around and help the 15th doctor with that conversation and then they slow down together by the end of the giggle um now what about donna's story does this ending in the giggle undermine the tragedy of Donna Noble from from Journey's End? I think so. To be honest, I think it does. 
Um, did she need to die at the end of Wild Blue Yonder? No, no, she didn't. But I just, I just wonder. I know why we've, 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 we've brought this pairing back. It's like bringing back an old successful rock band and going, let's play the greatest hits. Uh, before we reboot this thing to try and get the general public consciousness back, uh, thinking about Doctor Who, right? I think that I can, you can see that, can't you? But I just think that, um, I don't know, it just undermines it a little bit. Her ending was tragic and sad and beautiful and, and hard to deal with in Journey's End and then very, very bittersweet in the end of time where he leaves her, and, um, mm, it undermines it a bit for me, I think, especially on replays, I imagine, of Series 4, which I haven't done yet, but I imagine going back, it'll be very different to go, well, but then I guess there'll be that excitement to go, well, they, they get some more time together coming, but it's just undermines that tragedy a little bit, doesn't it? Anyway, um, so that's Donna, right, as the companion for the, for the 60th, um, let's talk about other characters, Sylvia, uh, Jacqueline King just sells the shit out of Sylvia, she jumps back into the Star Beast and grabs it with a, with a fury of a thousand suns, and she's wonderful in all scenes she's in, in my opinion, really, really good, doesn't get much to do in um, Special 3, but she makes the most of what she's given in the Starbase, and it's lovely to see her again. Sean, like I mentioned, has that wonderful scene um, in uh, the Starbase, in the, in the taxi that I really enjoy, and then he's a character that just kind of takes everything as it comes, and he's very kind of, you know, chillaxed, very laid back about everything that's going on, he just takes it all in his stride, it's an interesting choice, Rose for me is the weakest link of them all in the Donna family, like the Noble family, I thought that the performance was a little bit wooden in the Star Beast, now she doesn't get a lot to do in in the third special at all, but uh, we knew she'd be in there a little bit, and I didn't know how much she would be in there, but um, I was interested to see where her story would go in the giggle to to kind of put that towards the summation of what I thought of the character by the end of the three specials. And for me, the performance overall was a little bit wooden. The reactions to, you know, look, a, look, a, a plane's crashing, mum. Look, oh, a spaceship's crashing. Like, look. And then, oh, oh my God, you're a mon you're a, you're an alien. Oh, who are you? What's your name? Like, just takes it on her stride in a way that, like... Okay, she's the daughter of Sean, maybe, maybe that's where she got it from, I guess, but, like, it just feels very bizarre that there's literally an alien in the meep right there in front of her, and she's so nonchalant about it, to me, like, I loved, like, something like Rose in, in, in her first story, where she sees the, aut the Autons, and she thinks that, like, it might be, like, students or something like that in in costume or someone mucking around or something it takes a while as it would in real life for her to come to the determination in her own mind in her own rational thinking mind that this is a fucking alien right and it just happens way too fast for me in the star beast and you know i just i thought the performance was a bit wooden that's the truth maybe they'll flesh this character out because i believe that um Rose is going to be coming back in Shooting Out was first season. I believe that that is happening in maybe the finale. 
don't think Donna will be back, but I think that Rose will be back, and maybe there's more story to mine there, and maybe that performance will, you know, maybe there was some nerves, I'm not sure, maybe there were some nerves that, um, that were, that were kicking in about, you know, the, the, the kind of, um, gigantic wheelhouse that is Doctor Who and having to perform on it, and maybe, like, you know, affected her instrument to, her acting instrument to kind of, you know, for her to perform, but I just, I don't know, to me, um, I just thought she was the weak link, um, from a performance perspective, really, um, and not sure if she was completely necessary in the, in the story, to be honest, but, like, the, what I do like is that, is that, what I said about the perspective of Donna, and how her, her thoughts and feelings of, of Travelling the Doctor have changed a bit over time, and now there's that thing of, you know, she's a mum now, and, uh, in Wild Beyonder, she wants to go home, and she wouldn't have wanted to do before, and, um, you know, that she's happy to go home by the end, like, those kind of things, okay, yeah, I, I do, I do definitely, um, I do enjoy, so that's, that's those characters from Wild Blue Yonder, now, um, Isaac Newton's cameo in Wild Blue Yonder, I've already said I think the scene is, um, it's just not required, I just don't think it was needed, I think the story would have been stronger without that scene, who knows how Mavity will, will play out, the leakers, um, who have leaked other things for Wobbly Yonder and the Giggle that were right, um, have, have said that Mavity will, will carry on, um, and be set in season one with Gatwa, so I wonder what the payoff for that is, because I imagine there will be one if they're going to continue doing it, I don't imagine that they're just going to, you know, keep doing it in this era, and then any other future showrunner will probably just pick up Gravity again, and it'll never be explained, I imagine that there's something coming with that, but the scene itself felt redundant at the time to me, I didn't think it worked in Wild Blue Yonder, um, I guess we'll just have to see if this one random little scene from Wild Blue Yonder has crazy consequences later on, they go, hey, remember how we did that, well, here's the payoff, that could be interesting, but as far as I'm concerned at the moment, it's a no from me with that scene, and the race swapping of Isaac Newton is just thoroughly unnecessary, do I care? No. <laughs> I don't give a shit, really. I don't. But it's unnecessary, in my opinion. I just can't fathom why. He's a, he's a real person. Um, why are we race-swapping him? I don't know, again, do I care, <laughs> I don't care at all, but I just think it's a bit bizarre, really, I heard rumours ages ago, and this was unrelated to Doctor Who, actually, I believe, when I was reading this, that the BBC has a diversity quota that they have to meet, or that they've enforced and must meet, and I wonder if this whole scene was added because of a diversity quota, where they had to tick a box and go, let's get someone, they have to be of a certain race or ethnicity, and they, they must speak dialogue as well, they can't just be a background extra, and they threw this scene in, because other than that, this story is, for all intents and purposes, a confined two-hander between David Tennant and Catherine Tate as the Doctor and Donna, and the other, 
you know, and 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 David Tennant and Catherine Tate as the not things. It's a two-hander between two performers playing two different roles, but it's a two-hander for all intents and purposes. And I wonder if this scene was added because they had to tick a box. And if that's true, well, I don't like that because it the story should come first. And I will not apologise for saying that. The story should come first. Again, do I care? I don't give a shit, really. In the grand scheme of the fucking universe, I don't care. But goddamn, I don't understand why. Explain it to me, please. That's what I think about that, people. Now, let's talk about uh, Wilf. Wilf, I... Oh, I really enjoyed seeing um, Bernard Cribbins one final time. It's such a damn shame we don't get more of him. Of course, in the giggle, we only see kind of a, an extra um, as as Bernard stepping in as a, as a body double, and then we hear, go with the doctor, you go with the doctor. It's a bit of stock audio from an older story from from 2008. Um, but yeah, I really loved seeing him. It was very brief, but I, I really enjoyed it and just wish we got more with him, but bless him. It was wonderful to see him one final time. Uh, John Logie Bard, now I haven't seen Nolly, but the actor who played, uh, John in that story reprises his role here. Um, as the same character in the pre-title sequence for The Giggle, does a fine job as well, um, I didn't mind that, I quite enjoyed that little scene, nice little opener tick from me, um, Colonel Ibrahim, we don't see much of him, um, but we know that he will be a reoccurring character in the Shooty Gatwas season, um, so it'll be nice to see, uh, you know, where, where that character kind of, um, goes to, will he be like a Benton or a Mike Yates or something as part of a unit family, we'll just have to see, but excited to see what they do with him, Shirley Ann Bingham, um, she's got, she's got the wheelchair decked out like she's, um, you know, 007 or something with a Q gadget, um, I, to be honest, didn't mind that in the Star Beast, it was so, ridiculous of a story in, in terms of what it was doing that that just didn't that didn't kind of um bother me too much really I thought that was kind of hilarious and you know and fuck it I'm going along for the ride in this crazy batshit wild story um so that didn't that didn't really bother me um where she goes from here will be interesting she's um yeah I don't mind her performance quite enjoyed it really um by the end of the three specials from what we got her in the Star Beast and, and um, special three, uh, yeah, I want to see, I'll tell you who I do want to see come back though, I, I want, I want, I want a, either a mention or her character return, I want Osgood back, I really liked Osgood and I feel like it's kind of bizarre that she's completely omitted here from this family, I mean obviously she wasn't there in, in, in the 13th Doctor's era as well, but I would like to see more of Osgood, I think, um, I know that that was a bit like, we don't quite know exactly what's going on with those characters by the end of the Zygon inversion, but yeah, no, I would like to see some more Osgood, bring back Osgood, add her to this kind of running unit family, um, Kate Lethbridge-Stewart was good, we didn't get heaps of stuff going on with her, but she's, um, nice with what she gets to do, and we get to see her kind of, um, take the bracelet off and have a moment there, um, kind of, uh, accusing and attacking the doctor and, uh, and Shirley, um, but yeah, she's, she's fine, 
really. There's not much really to say, I don't think, with Kate. I think the character that's more interesting to talk about is Mel. And I thought that she was really good in The Giggle, to be honest. And uh, she's not just a screaming uh, redhead like she was in um, Classic Who. (laughs) She's all right in Classic Who, I guess. But she just doesn't get a lot to do. But she actually gets some stuff to do here. And, like, the singing where she works things out is cool. Um, The mention of Sablon Glitz is nice. And, um... Yeah, yeah, I'm really, I'm really keen to see more of her in the shooting cup season coming. Actually, I think that they could do something really cool with Mel, and I'm, I'm keen to see how she kind of bonds with this, with this fifteenth Doctor again when she reunites with him. Um, the Vlinks, I think that's what it's called, the robot of unit. Is this part of a unit spin-off? Adding this kind of thing in, like, what are, what are the Vlinks' origins? You know, very interesting. Is it of its own accord that unit found that? It, like, was it already, or did they, did someone unit build it? I'm not sure that's interesting to ask. Could the Vlinks turn out to be a double agent or an enemy of the Doctor in a later story? Could the, the Vlinks be the boss of the Meep? I don't know. There's a crazy theory. But yeah, we need to see more of this for me to make up my mind. But it does feel like it's kind of a droid, a Star Wars-like droid that they might be setting up as like an ally for like a unit spin-off. But we'll have to see, I guess. Let's talk about monsters. The Wrath Warriors, I love their camp design, I love their voices, I love how um, they talk when they're in the, um, when they're in the kind of underground uh, parking lot, I thought that was just goddamn hilarious, um, you know, the, the tale of the Meep is a tragic one, and, um, yeah, really like the, the Wrath Warriors, really cool to see a classic Who design from a comic on screen and realised well, and I love it how they fly as well, I thought that was really cool, and on the street, and the way they look, walking on like big legs, big stilt legs was awesome, yeah, big tick from me, the Wrath Warriors, the meep was so well realised, and I thought Miriam Margulies was just ace at the voice, she was just awesome, like, I would love to see the meep return in the new era, I thought the meep, like, switching from this, you know, cute little thing to this absolutely atrocious little rodent was absolutely hilarious I just thought that was wonderful um, and really well executed so bring back the meep all hail the meep all hail the high one Um, big tick from me again the puppets in special three the tenant kind of puppet I didn't really love I didn't love the uh, puppet of the guy who we saw from the pre-title sequence either I thought that looked a little bit shoddy in all honesty but the the um the 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 kind of mother with the um with the three with the three children the three baby dolls I thought they were extremely well realised and it was a great moment of gothic kind of horror and Doctor Who, one that I imagine would scare the younger kids um and and was really yeah a nice little touch of horror um a tea time for me I really like it um the toy maker was I thought Neil was great I thought he was uh wonderful in his scenes uh juggling talking about the the first the the, the history of the ball I, I guess um I thought that he was wonderful in that in that in that kind of like card scene with the doctor where they're trying to draw the higher card of each other in those stiller and silent uh moments um those were when I thought Neil worked worked the best as the toy maker. Um, I enjoy his kind of camp over the topness when he's um you know putting on the puppet show as well. Uh, and I also thought the 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 Spice Girls kind of um, lip syncing scene was 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 wonderful fun really. So 
just underutilized. You know, we don't, we could have, we could have had a whole, you know, part one in the toy maker realm alone and then got to and seen more games and that kind of thing, more akin to something like the Celestial Toy Maker from 1966 before going to part two and having him break through to our reality and then seeing what damage he can do on Earth because he's kind of just confined to the unit tower um, once he gets back to 2023, really, other than that little scene of him dancing on the, uh, on the streets, um, he's really just confined to the tower, and we see a little bit of what he can do there, but I would have loved to have seen, um, what he could do further, you know, across the world, and whatnot, because he's got such untapped potential, especially in modern Doctor Who, so hopefully this is a setup, um, not just for the legions of the Toymaker to return, but for Neil, um, to return as the Toymaker himself in the future, maybe as a reoccurring shooty Gatwood villain, that could be interesting, um, I think I would really enjoy something like that, and I think that, um, you know, he's just not in this story enough, um, to, to, to kind of place himself up in that topper echelon of Doctor Who villains. But he was good for what he uh, had to work with. Um, so let's talk about the, uh, well, where everything's set, I guess, settings. We've talked about general story and the execution of those stories and whatnot. Let's talk about the Star Beast is set in 21st century London. Um, so is Special 3. And then we have special two Wild Blue Yonder set um, at the the edge of the universe. Oh, story three is also set uh, in Soho as well, 1925. Um, and there's bits in the Toy Maker realm too. Um, and then the edge of the universe is in Wild Blue Yonder. Um, we also go to nine, or is it 1866? Or no, 1666, sorry. Um, the year of the, the Great Fire of London and the Visitation as well, where we see uh, Isaac Asimov. Um so, let's talk about um, those settings. Um, I want to see less 21st century London in Russell T. Davies, um, you know, RTD2 era. I, I really do. Um, with the Disney money coming through, I want to see the scope. I think that, uh, let's talk about the 60th, um, where we go here. We, we get a lot of 21st century London, obviously, makes sense of the story. I get it. 1666, we get that random kind of pre-title sequence, uh, 20, 1925, Soho, yeah, okay, we we're there for a second, but it's mainly in 21st century London, and then we also get, you know, my favourite, personally, the spaceship at the edge of creation in an unknown year, very interesting, very, very interesting, yeah, um, uh, I mean, nothing, nothing too crazy, I don't think, with these, um, how do I think these fare with the uh, with the previous ones, with the previous kind of anniversary specials? Um, hmm, it's a good question. It's a very good question. Um, let's say overall, if we were to go through and 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 rate them right now, um, I think a straight lowest Thunderbird five you could possibly give would be um. Thunder Nerd 5 yet, uh, would be, the dimensions of time, just writing this down, absolutely, that would absolutely be the lowest, not even a shadow of a doubt, um, I would say next of all, I, I'm gonna leave Scream of Shulker out of this because I haven't seen it, by the way, so I, I can't really give my, give my thoughts on it. Um, so I'm going to leave that out for the 40th anniversary. 
Um, I could talk about Davros Omega and Master and um, Zagreus, I suppose, but they're audios, so I'm going to leave them out for this. So Thunderbird 5 Dimensions in Time, it just straight up is in that, that category. Um, I'm going to give Silver Nemesis, uh, that probably comes in next for me, probably a Thunderbird 3, a low 3 maybe, or a high 4 maybe, I'm going to go Thunder Nerd 4, Nerd 4. I've been calling it Thunderbird this whole time when we've done this. Thunderbird 4. Thunderbird 4 for me. Um, I would give... I'd give the 60th anniversary specials overall, mind you, a Thunder... a Thunderbird 3. Yeah, I think they would be a three. Um, I'd give that a three. So I've got, I've got, I've got at the moment. Dimensions in time that that just gets a straight five. Silver Nemesis four, sixtieth overall a three, and that's probably bored up because of Wild Blue Yonder. That could be in like a four, a low four, probably overall. But Wild Blue Yonder is enough to get it to a three, but no higher than that. Um. I would give probably the twentieth anniversary, the five doctors, a low Thunder Nerd or Thunderbird two. A low two. So just above a three for me with that one. Low two. Um and I'd give Three Doctors would come in at my second favourite anniversary special with a only, and this is only here, like the only reason for this is because there's just moments where it drags a little bit. It gets a high Thunderbird 2. So not a mid-tier, it gets a high Thunderbird 2. Thunderbird, I've really got to choose. I can't remember what Josh and I have been saying on this podcast. has been Thunderbird or Thunderbird when we've been rating it. Anyway. I'm going to say Thunderbird to a high one. High two, I'm writing this down. Um, and I would give the 50th anniversary a straight one. Top tier one for the 50th anniversary. Scott Tracy level. Stephen Moffat killed it with that. So yeah, uh, the 60th anniversary overall sits very middle of the road. Um, Dimensions and Time uh, and Silver Nemesis are lower at Thunderbird 5 and 4. 60th anniversaries collectively in summation sit at about a Thunderbird 3 for me. The 20th sits at a low 2. Um, I would say that uh, the 10th anniversary special, The Three Doctors, makes its way to a high 2 for me. And um, the 50th sits at a Scott Tracy goated level of top tier Thunderbird 1. So that is how I would rate them all. Um, looking towards the future, 
I've got to be honest with you, I'm sick of being fatigued by Doctor Who. I'm sick of being upset at Doctor Who and angry at Doctor Who. Um, I have stuck through. I, I was one of the people that did stick through the Jodie Whittaker era, through the you know many lows and the very few highs, in my opinion, of that era. I stuck by it. Um, yeah, and then to get here to the 60th anniversary, I, I think that it, it was a little bit overall, a little bit of a letdown, but I had hyped it up tremendously in my own mind, and so of course all the theorizing and whatnot when things don't always happen, that's also partially your own fault to, to blame if you've been speculating away like I had, but I, I don't regret any of that, I enjoyed all of that um, as we did it. But overall, a little bit kind of disappointing, the ending with the bi-regeneration. I just don't love it. Um, yeah, I think that Doctor Who just needed to get its wheels back on track. And the last thing we needed was something to divide the fans even further down the middle. But, you know, Doctor Who is all about change. It embraces change, I suppose. That's why it survived for so long. But there's just some things I think you don't need to change or do, especially where Doctor Who is at the moment. But what's done is done. The bi-regeneration is not as bad as I initially thought, in my opinion. Um, I think, again, to say it, that the whole, you know, bi-regenerating down the timeline, I don't love that at all. The Doctor-verse kind of thing, like the Marvel feeling that I'm getting from all of this. I've never been a huge Marvel fan, to be honest. Um, with how they've done those films, I can appreciate them from afar, but I don't love them. Um, and I don't want Doctor Who to follow suit and kind of overstay its welcome with, you know, every spin-off which way that it can do, um, in a in a world of oversaturation with this kind of shit. Um, but yeah, look, I, I just want to love Doctor Who again. I want it to be the show that 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 I that I know it can be, and I don't know if it will return to those heights. But for me, like you know, going through the the Doctor Who retrospective and watching something like Dalek. I feel like the show right now is a far cry from what that was, but that was a different type of Doctor Who, and Doctor Who changes, I guess. But, um, yeah, I can only hope that in this next era um, we get some knock-it-out-of-the-park um, storytelling, um, and I, I, I really do hope that that, that that does happen. But, you know, time will tell. It always does. The Church on Ruby Road is next. Um, it's a Christmas Day you know, festive special, we'll get to meet Millie Gibson as Ruby Sunday, we'll catch up with the 15th Doctor, who would have been the Doctor for a little bit now, Shudi Gatwa, um, that will be exciting to see, I hope that it's a great story, the early reviews I've read, three have given it a four star and said it's a great start to a brand new era that completely reinvents the show, another review gave it five stars, um, each review I've read has said that Millie Gibson and um, Shooty Gat would just knock it out of the park and are a team you're going to want to watch by the time the credits roll, you're going to you know, not be able to wait to see them again. So I'll make my own mind up on that when I see it, but maybe I'll talk more about those reviews in this week's wrap-up podcast. Um, but yeah, look, looking forward to to seeing it. And I've seen the Goblin song. I think that was a bit crazy. Um, it was very camp, very over the top, felt very disney to me. And um, hmm, I guess we'll have to see how it plays out in the context of the story, if it all holds together seamlessly. But um Nevertheless, a brand new era uh, is 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 right on the cusp at the moment, and um, 
you know, I'm excited to see it and I just hope Doctor Who can reach the heights that I know it can and has before and someone is at my door. So I think we'll probably wrap it up here. But guys, what is your thoughts? What did you think of, um, you know, the 60th anniversary insummation? What did you think of the Star Beast? What did you think of Wild Blue Yonder? What about the Giggle? What did you think of Kate Lethbridge-Stewart and the Toymaker and Rose, of course? What did you think about Isaac Newton? I want to hear your thoughts. What about Chudi Gawa and his introduction um, into the world of, of Doctor Who? What did you think? Um, you can email us for the first time, Thunder Nerds. Here we go. You can email us and give us your thoughts at thundernerd1isgo at gmail.com. Now, with the one, that is the numeral one, not O-N-E. So, thundernerd1, the numeral, isgo at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts. What did you think of the 60th anniversary? What was your favorite parts? What did you think of the characters? What did you think about Donna's story? Did it undo that kind of and undermine that uh, ending for you? Or were you happy with it, maybe? Um, let us know. I want to hear all your thoughts, and so does Josh. Thundernerd1 is go at gmail.com. And hey, what about your thoughts on the future? Are you excited for the church on Ruby Road? Let us know. What would you give all of the specials um, from a ranking from five being meh, nah, to Thundernerd1, Scott Tracy as the goat um, scale? What did you think? If you're liking the podcast, um, please um, give us a rating. That really does help. Follow us so you can be notified when we do new podcasts switching to horizontal flight. Thunder Nerds out.